0: All Ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio.
1: Today on Lime Ninja Radio.
0: And that happens a lot with methylfolate. You know, a lot of people are learning about MTHFR. That is the gene that takes your folate and folic acid from your diet, turns it into methylfolate. And everything you've heard about methylfolate and methylation is absolutely true. However, if you start methylating, and one of the things that folate does is help make new cells, and we're going to get into the mTOR a little bit, but folate can, under some circumstances, make more glutamate or make more inflammation, and I think I'll cover that when I I speak about the mTOR, but I hear that all the time. Somebody told me I have MTHFR. I took methylfolate and methylcobalamin, and I felt great for 10 days, two weeks, and then I crashed.
1: This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points, there's are so many ups and downs, twists and turns, that at some point, they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans, and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 166 with our good friend, Bob Miller. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora.
2: Hello, and in this episode, you will learn what autophagy is. I sure hope I said that right. And why it's an important part of the immune system, why it's crucial to incorporate a cleaning period, quote unquote, into your healing process, and what the most important thing you can do for your health is to make sure that your Tor and your autophagy are in balance.
1: Autophagy.
2: Autophagy. Gosh darn it!
1: <laughs> Don't swear. This is Lime Nature Radio. <laughs> That's, did you edit the part out? That's autophagy is one of these impossible words to say. Yeah. And I get my tongue twisted around it for about good thirty seconds on the show. Gives, At
2: least thirty seconds. Did you yeah. edit it out,
1: please? Mm. Not really.
2: Not really. Alright.
1: So I have great sympathy for Aurora and her autophagy. I mean there's a little bit of controversy about it, but the preferred pronunciation is autophagy. Autophagy. Yes, the harder to pronounce, the better, no yes. doubt. It's science after all. Okay. Thanks, Aurora. And as you all know out there, are all my lime ninjas out there. Lyme disease is an international problem, and each week we have listeners join us from all over the world to underline that it is an international problem. So it's not just us in the state who are interested in Lyme disease. We have people this week tuning in from the U.S., obviously, to the U.K., and from Hamburg, Germany, to Harskamp?
2: Netherlands. The
1: Netherlands. Yeah. All right. Almost as good as a talker
2: <laughs> Definitely.
1: And this week's top 10 listening cities, from number 10 on up, start with, go ahead, Aurora.
2: Starting with number 10 is Richmond, Virginia.
1: Number 9, San Francisco, California.
2: Number 8, Danbury, Connecticut.
1: Number 7, Chattanooga, Tennessee.
2: Number 6, Miami, Florida. Number
1: 5, Rockville, Maryland.
2: Number 4, Los Angeles, California.
1: Number 3, Falkirk, U.K.,
2: Number two, Virginia Beach, Virginia.
1: And the number one town this week is Bald Knob, Arkansas.
2: Good job, Bald Knob.
1: All right. You learn something new every week. <laughs> no. All right, Aurora, why don't you tell us a little bit about this week's guest? Although those of you who've been listening for a while, you've heard several interviews yeah. with Bob Miller. And he really doesn't need an introduction, but for those of you who are new tuning in the beginning, maybe you got a new iPhone for Christmas and checking out some Lyme disease podcast. And here we are. Bob Miller will give you a little introduction. He's really on the cutting edge of nutritional research in general and especially with Lyme disease. So, yes. or tell us who he is.
2: So, Bob Miller served as a naturopath for 20 years and earned his naturopathic degree from the Trinity School of Natural Health. In 2015, Bob Miller was inspired to start examining chronic Lyme disease and he founded Nutrigenetic Research Institute to research and publish reports on the relationship between genetic variants, labs and presenting symptoms. In 2016, he won an award at the European ILADS Conference for his research into the genetic variants in
1: those with Lyme disease. Thanks, Aurora. And here's our interview with Bob Miller. Hello, Bob. This is McKay Rippey from Lyme Ninja Radio. Good to be with you again. I just have to brag on you a little bit. We we were going through our statistics. We're transcribing our top ten all time interviews, and you're number one. Really? Yes. And that's well, that, that's that's not even adding all of them together. You're you're just at the at the peak. So thank you for all you do, and and it's a massive interest to the people of the Lyme community.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I consider myself uh, very fortunate that I've had this opportunity to uh, do this research uh, to help these people because it all kind of just came together rather serendipitously. So it's an interesting story. We're going to talk
1: about your Lyme study number four, which you presented at ILADS. But why don't you give us a brief overview? Because it's not doesn't stand by itself. It's part of the series of research that you've been conducting now for two and a half years. Quite a while
0: now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite a while. Yeah. A uh, little bit of history. The uh, I, As I said, I kind of came into this serendipitously. I don't have Lyme. Nobody in my family had Lyme. But a gal who does uh, graphic artist work for me uh, said, Bob, would you come speak to a group of uh, Lyme support folks about methylation? This was a long time ago. And I did. And, uh, of course, some of the folks were interested, and they came in to see me. And social media, being what it is, they started talking about it. And all of a sudden, I started hearing from people all across the country and then all over the world. And as you know, I do... Uh, My entire work is based upon uh, genetic nutrition. I use genetic information to look at people's uh, nutrient status. You know, genetics is used for a lot of things, you know, including ancestry and disease predisposition and, you know, all kinds of things. But I focus totally on genetics as it relates to nutrition and pathways. And I found that all of a sudden, all of these people with, uh, with Lyme disease that were chronic, not just... You know, was bit by a tick and then was cured with one round of antibiotics. They start. I started seeing that they had difficulties, which what are called the HFE genes. These are the genes that are related to the absorption of iron. And I just saw this over and over again. And then somehow I heard about uh, ILADS and that they were looking for research projects for their uh, ILADS conference in Helsinki, Finland, in May of uh, 2016. So I thought, uh, well, why not? So I started the research institute, the Nutrigenic Research Institute, and again, due to social media, we put a call out to individuals, if you have chronic Lyme and we'd like to be part of a study, send us the data. So they did, and we found in that first study that compared to the what's called the 1000 Genome Project, those with chronic Lyme had considerably more predisposition to having the genes that would cause you to absorb more iron. And then we also found that they had a genetic predisposition to making more of something called glutamate. And glutamate is an interesting molecule. It makes you intelligent, makes you highly motivated, makes you a go-getter, sometimes makes you a bit of a perfectionist. But if it gets too high, it can make you anxious, and it'll create a molecule called peroxynitrite that makes you inflamed depletes your glutathione, the master antioxidant, and can also uh, make something called peroxynitrite that weakens your immune system. So those are the two things we found in study number one. And much to my surprise, I was one of the uh, research award winners in Helsinki, Finland, which is all surprising to me because this is the first study I've done. And uh, you know, I'm just a traditional naturopath in Pennsylvania Dutch country, so this was all kind of exciting to me. So then I followed up In uh, November of 16, for the United States Lyme Conference in Philadelphia, and we found there was more genetic variants in those with uh, chronic Lyme in more things related to glutamate and dopamine. Then in uh, Paris, France, in uh, May of 2017, was the second international conference that I went to, and we dug a little bit deeper. Because when you do the 23andMe genetic test, there's 600,000 pieces of data. And as we continue to do research, we are looking for uh, more genes as it relates to the people with chronic Lyme. So again, this same group. And we found some other interesting things. In our Paris study, we found there was more genetic variants in a gene called SLC40A1 that makes something called ferroportin. And ferroportin is the only iron exporter. So it's like, okay, we've got more predisposition for iron to come in. We've got more predisposition for iron not to be carried out. Now, what we pointed out in, uh, in Helsinki and in Paris was that if your iron goes too high, it can cause problems. We all know that iron is a critical nutrient. There's people across the world dying of iron deficiency. And if they don't get some iron in their diet, they could be in serious trouble or even death from severe anemia. But iron is an interesting mineral that it has to be tightly controlled. Too little is a problem, but too much is a problem. And there's a molecule called hydrogen peroxide, H2O2, that our body actually makes as a result of detoxification. And we need glutathione and catalase to clear that out. And if that hydrogen peroxide doesn't get cleared, it will combine with copper and or iron to make something called a hydroxyl radical. And that hydroxyl radical is one nasty son of a gun. It just creates inflammation throughout the entire body. And so this may be another cause why those with chronic Lyme disease are struggling. Then we also found in our Paris study that there's something called NERF-2, nuclear transaction factor. And this is something we all need to become familiar with because I am now of the opinion that NERF-2 and also what controls it called KEEP-1 may be some of the most significant nutrient-related genetic issues we can have. Because NERF-2 is responsible for making utilizing, and recycling glutathione. And glutathione is your master antioxidant. And as you know, McKay, if we don't have glutathione, we're just going to oxidize. A study was done of elderly people who are 101 to 105 who were doing remarkably well. And as the scientists studied them, they found that the only thing that made them unique was they had the glutathione levels of the average 50-year-old. That's amazing. And I want to pause here Because you indirectly bring
1: up a very important point and one of the linchpins of your approach to nutrition. And that is you're talking about this Nrf2 enzyme and pathway Mm -hmm. and not just supplementing glutathione.
0: Now, Absolutely.
1: Why why do you concentrate on the pathway and not just the end product? Isn't it just easier to take some glutathione? You know, they have some fancy delivery systems now, whether it's IV or or they've shown that the liposomal forms can be absorbed almost as well. Why not just take a bunch of glutathione?
0: Sure. Well, firstly, those can be very helpful. If your glutathione is totally depleted and you're burning up with inflammation, IV glutathione, s glutathione, liposomal glutathione can all be extremely helpful. However, there's some rather insidious things that we can do when we take that. Now, what happens is your body makes glutathione. And particularly three amino acids and it's cysteine, glycine, and glutamine go together to make glutathione. And there's a whole chain of genes that are responsible for multiple steps of taking those nutrients and turning them into glutathione. However, Nrf2 and indirectly KEEP1 regulate those. Now, when you start taking glutathione, your body might say, well, thank you very much. Uh, now I don't need to make it or slow down in the production. Now, what happens is those precursors that are used to make glutathione, particularly cysteine, if they start to build up in the body, That's what combines with iron to make hydroxyl radicals. Now, it's relatively rare, but every once in a while, you'll speak to a doctor who says, I didn't understand it, but I gave this person glutathione, and they did great. The next person I gave glutathione, they had a horrible reaction, and I don't understand why. So I hear that a lot now from Lyme doctors, because what happens is if you give enough glutathione, you start sparing the cysteine, And if you look at what's called the Fenton reaction, cysteine, hydrogen peroxide, and iron are involved in this collision that makes these nasty hydroxyl radicals. So, one of my favorite sayings is, I'd rather have you make it than take it. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't times to take glutathione. By all means, if you're terribly depleted, taking it for a period of time might be helpful. But in all my nutritional consultations where I teach and educate people, it's like, you know, let's use that short term until we get your body making it. And that's why some people take n cysteine, and they're told, this is great because this is what your body uses to make glutathione. You'll make glutathione by making cysteine. Well, if your nerf 2 is working okay and a whole cascade of other genes are working okay, you will use that cysteine to make glutathione, and you will do better. But if that pathway is broken, that cysteine can actually make inflammation. And that's why I often say this is like a 3D chess game played underwater. There are not simple solutions. What will work for one person can backfire on another. And that's why there's such a movement towards personalized care. We can't you know, look in a book and say, oh, for this condition, take that. That works some of the time, but we are so unique that what works for one person can go horribly wrong for the next. Thanks. That's
1: so easy to understand and really brings a nice illumination on why so many people with Lyme disease struggle. Their their pathways are pushed to the limit and just a little perturbation in the wrong way Makes things worse. So we we hear that over and over again. Well, I you know I tried this one protocol, I tried this one supplement, and things were okay for a couple of weeks, and then the the wheels fell off, and now I'm back to where I was in the beginning, or, or sure. some story like that.
0: And that happens a lot with methylfolate. You know, a lot of people are learning about MTHFR. That is the gene that takes your folate and folic acid from your diet, turns it into methylfolate. And everything you've heard about methylfolate and methylation is absolutely true. However, if you start methylating, and one of the things that folate does is help make new cells. And we're going to get into the mTOR a little bit. But folate can, under some circumstances, make more glutamate or make more inflammation. And I think I'll cover that when when I speak about the mTOR. But I hear that all the time. Somebody told me I have MTHFR, I took methylfolate and methylcobalamin, and I felt great for 10 days, two weeks, and then I crashed. And then you hear these people that say, I can't take supplements because every time they try to take something, they crash. Well, they're trying to push when things are inflamed. One of my favorite expressions is when the house is burning down, you don't paint the walls and mow the lawn. And too many people are trying to do that. So when the house is burning down, you get the hose out and you put out the fire. It seems ridiculously simple, but unfortunately it's not done.
1: We, it's so easy. And the way we research and the way we communicate about what we research and learn is really just in a silo, right? So the MTHFR as if it stood alone in the body and is connected to thousands of other pathways. And that's, that's where we get into trouble. And that's why I love your system and the way you're thinking. Now, we don't have all thousand links done, but we're bringing in many, many more than than just isolating and say, okay, just take the glutathione to detox. Take the far because you have this one particular genetic uh, SNP.
0: Yeah, we can't treat the SNPs. I don't think we can say, oh, if you have this SNP, take this. That's what we'd like to happen, and that would be very convenient if it did.
1: It'd make it but easy, wouldn't more, it?
0: <laughs> it would make it easy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why I go back to the 3D chess game played underwater. Everything connects to everything, and we need to look at the macro picture and not, not drill down to the micro.
1: Okay, so let's go back because I interrupted you. You were talking about NERF 2 and KEEP 1 in terms of the LIME study and bring yes. us up to
0: the study number 4. Sure. So we found there was problems with, as I said, the you know the HFE bringing in more iron, the ferroportin getting it stuck. Now, if you have more trouble with your Nrf2, as I said, Nrf2 controls the genes that make, use, and recycle glutathione. And they even control the genes that make something called NADPH, which is what takes the oxidized glutathione turns it back into the reduced, which is could be used. And NADPH, interestingly, is also involved in the first step of reducing hydrogen peroxide. And Nerf two even controls the genes that clear hydrogen peroxide. And what makes it really fascinating is Nerf two is involved with the genes that control iron sequestration. Whoa! You see all this, how this all ties together. So if you remember, iron combines with hydrogen peroxide to make hydroxyl radicals. NRF2 is plopped right in the center. It's controlling the clearing of hydrogen peroxide, controlling the glutathione. That is what's used to reduce the hydrogen peroxide. It controls the NADH that's involved with clearing hydrogen peroxide and recycling glutathione and involved with iron sequestration itself. So now you can see why I'm looking at NERF 2 and KEEP 1 as being critical. And let me just address KEEP 1 a little bit. KEEP 1 controls NERF 2. And here's a real easy way to understand this. In very simple terms, think of a sprinkler in the ceiling. Think of NERF 2 as the water that's in the sprinkler, and think of KEEP 1 as the sprinkler itself. And when KEEP 1 notices a fire, it releases the water. So if your nerf two is doing okay, meaning you have water, and the keep one is not working, then the fire comes along and the sprinkler says, what fire? So I am finding that people that are the sickest of the sick have some genetic variants in their keep one that controls Nerf two. Then in our in our study in uh in Paris, we found there was a gene called mTOR. And I'll be perfectly honest, when I first heard about mTOR, I said to my staff, what the heck is mTOR? So, <laughs> right. so it stands for mammalian target of rapamycin. Mammalian target of rapamycin. So something in my gut said, I think this is significant. Don't know why, but I think this is significant. So myself and my research team, we started digging a little bit. And all of a sudden, I had this eureka moment. And I can't even remember when that was because it was like, oh, I get it. Okay. Now, let me just back up a step. And there's a process called autophagy, A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y. Some people call it autophagy, autophagy, but Apparently, the the proper pronunciation is autophagy. And if you Google autophagy and Nobel Prize, you'll see that the Nobel Prize in 2016 in medicine was for studies on autophagy. So, what the heck's autophagy? Well, it actually means self-eating. So, what happens is autophagy makes something called autophagosomes that envelop old cells when they die and as we all know our cells are constantly dividing so that's the aging process when the next cell's not as good as the last one and autophagy is absorbing and recycling that old cell so when that old cell dies it grabs it takes out some of the amino acids, possibly some of the minerals, and actually uses that as fertilizer, so to speak, to to make the next cell. As you know, farmers at the end of the season plow under the old crop. It rots, ferments, and then it actually feeds the crop in the spring, that circle of life, so to speak. And autophagy cleans up mold and virus and bacteria and all kinds of bad things and keeps the body clean. Now, there's a real easy way to know how your autophagy is doing when you get older, because we all know that as people get older, they get what are called age spots, sun spots, liver spots, those brown spots that show up on the hands or the face or the arms. And we just attribute those to, well, you're getting older. Well, what's happening, that's called lipofusion and the old dead cells or other things are not being cleared and they're becoming oxidized. And that's why they can get worse when you're in the sun because the sun's oxidizing. But that wouldn't happen if that old dead cell wasn't there. So when you start digging into autophagy, you'll just see all kinds of literature on how this is being studied extensively because the things that it can prevent – is absolutely astonishing. So it's the cleaning of the cells. Now, let's go back to what mTOR is. mTOR is when the body takes amino acids from our proteins, glucose from our carbohydrates, iron from our foods, folate from our foods, glutamine from our foods, and it stimulates cell growth. Now, clearly, if mTOR didn't work, the sperm and the egg would never become the baby. The baby would never become the adult. mTOR is not bad. It's needed to support growth. And of course, okay, I'm sure as a, an acupuncturist, you could appreciate this. You know, it's kind of like the yin and the yang. So you've got the building and you've got the cleaning. Now, what's interesting is when mTOR is active, autophagy is shut off. In other words, when the construction crew comes out, it says hey, janitors, we're busy here, go home. So we can't do the cleaning while we're doing the building. So then all of a sudden we had this aha moment because we started to dig in and we found that iron stimulates mTOR. Then we found that glutamate stimulates mTOR. And if anybody's following this, they know what's coming next. Folate stimulates mTOR, as well as amino acids, as well as glucose. So all of these factors stimulate mTOR. That's why a pregnant woman needs folate to stimulate growth. That's why a woman needs iron to stimulate growth. However, let's think this through. If you have the genetic issues that you absorb more iron, if you have genetic issues that you already have extra glutamate. You can be overstimulating your mTOR. And I know we're here to talk about Lyme, but when you look at mTOR and autism, researchers are now looking at that, how that might be affecting something called pruning that affects, uh, that this may be playing a role in autism. And just like there's been a rise in Lyme disease, there's also been an incredible rise in, in autism. So what my whole theory is that I now presented in Boston was that epigenetic factors or environmental factors that we weren't exposed to 50 to 75 years ago are cumulatively stimulating our mTOR. And then those who have genetic weakness are being hit first and the hardest. So let me walk through those. Well, hang on. Let me, let me pause there for just a second. Sure.
1: Mm-hmm. It goes, uh, just j- just to summarize mTOR and w- to help people wrap their minds around that again, because what the mTOR is, what you're saying is that it's, it down regulates the atog- autoph- autophagy. 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 There we go. Autophagy. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm looking at it and I'm not pronouncing it right. Autophagy. And, it- The the original research was done around cancer, and that's probably the easiest way to understand it. So we know cancer cells are just out of control, and they don't stop, and they don't self-regulate. The autophagy is just completely absent and they grow out of control and so they went after this mammalian target of rapamycin rapamycin was an herb that had surprising anti-cancer effects and they're trying to f- figure out how does this work how does this work and that's where they discovered mTOR
0: so they found that the rapamycin down regulates this mTOR mm-hmm. so yeah, it originally comes from a fungus but rapamycin is now a drug used as an anti-rejection yeah, drug
1: as well right because it's yes in in terms of down-regulating the... Yeah, down-regulating mTOR to up autophagy. Yeah, exactly. And so th- th- it's important to understand th- those two. It's really, it's, it's the growth, just like you said with the construction ch- crew and the cleanup crew, it's the growth and repair. Because so we kind of have this idea that this bot, our body, when it's constructing, when it's building itself, is d- doing this pristine German kind of engineering, making a Swiss watch. But it's really a little messier than that. You know, it's like kids in the kitchen. There's stuff flying all over the place and we absolutely need to clean up. And we, we see this. The other thing I want to bring you. Kind of designated, uh, named part of this, and I'm still in your load, but the Harrison effect. So we'll, yes. we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this later on, but a lot of this Harrison effect, now Harris, he was named after a young man, but he didn't have Lyme disease, am I correct? Yes, he had Lyme disease. Oh, as well. he did have Lyme disease. Okay. But mm-hmm. so many of the symptoms that we're seeing in terms of this high glutamate, and if you understand it in terms of, okay, your body's going full tilt boogie and not resting and recovering, all of a sudden it makes sense. The lack of sleep. The, the damage being done, the not repairing, the not being able to detox, all these things make make sense. So I didn't want to interrupt too much there. But it really, if, if people don't quite understand that mTOR autophagy, autophagy part, <laughs> I'm going to have to learn how to say that straight up. Oh, yeah.
0: It took me two weeks. <laughs> so don't worry. Things autophagy. autophagy. Autophagy.
1: Think yes. F, right. Okay. Yes. Frankfurter. That if you don't understand the the push and pull, the yin and yang of building and cleaning up, then the rest of it just it becomes this giant lump of oh wait, wait a minute, what are we talking about? But that if you got that fundamental idea in your mind, and what's interesting is how it ties back to all these other things we were talking about in the beginning: the high iron, the high glutamate the excess folate, the hydroxyl radicals and the hydrogen peroxide. It's amazing how that all ties in together. And then you get these epigenetic, and that's just a fancy way of saying either environmental factors or even kind of, Traits passed on by your parents that aren't necessarily genetic, but they have a certain set of genes that are turned on. So we we know in terms of fertility that sometimes even things that happen to grandparents can affect fertility a couple generations down. So this is it really starts to bring together all these outside influences. And that's why I wanted to have you here to talk about this. The LimeSide number four in mTORs. This is so, so exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. It sure is. Now, let me go back to some other factors, and this is part of our ongoing research. I don't know how many people saw it, but this is frightening. Ninety percent of the water supply in America has plastic fibers in it from the, the clothing we're wearing that's derived from, from plastics. So that sounds Not, gross, but why, why is that a problem? <laughs> well, because those plastics are xenoestrogens. And estrogen, of course, supports growth. Now, I'm 63 years old. When I was 12 and I went to school, my 12-year-old classmates looked like little girls. We now know what they look like today. There's a very good chance that some of these environmental factors are pushing this. I was at a medical conference a couple weeks ago and I spoke. sat next to a, a doctor who does uh, just does hormone work. And he said, Bob, I'm seeing 18 to 22 year old boys having less testosterone than my 60 year old guys. So that's being, frightening. Yeah. So we are and we know sperm rates are dropping precipitously per decade. Um, so we are seeing a dramatic increase, okay, in the estrogen so the girls get their menstrual cycles sooner then if they create ovarian cysts they start creating testosterone. So There's the potential here that girls are becoming masculized while the boys are becoming feminized. But nonetheless, it stimulates mTOR. Then what the dairy industry found is that, hey, if we give our cattle insulin growth factor, well, they'll get fatter faster and they'll give more milk. Well, guess what growth factor does? Stimulates mTOR. Then the food industry decided, Hey, we can really get people addicted to food if we put all this high fructose corn syrup in here. And by the way, let's make a soda with 12 teaspoons of right. sugar. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and of course that stimulates insulin and insulin stimulates mTOR. And that's you know diabetes used to be a small percentage of the population. The latest statistics are one out of three people are now pre diabetic or diabetic, and we used to call this adult onset diabetes, but now eight and ten year old kids are getting diabetes,
1: yeah you know I now, routinely now check blood sugar for all my patients coming in because unfortunately it's still not part of a standard screening in the, in the medical field. They wait till you're really having pretty serious symptoms, and it's the anomaly is somebody comes in with with normal blood sugar. It's really sad.
0: Oh, it's very sad. Very sad. Now, all the evidence isn't in yet, but there's a couple of studies pointing to this, that these high levels of electromagnetic fields we're being exposed to from our cell towers and cell phones, particularly in children, might be stimulating insulin. And, you know, I don't know how much you interact with, with teachers who are, you know, teaching elementary school, but I have a fair amount of them as clients and I see how things are going and they're like, oh my God, you know, these kids are out of control. Uh, I'm down in Pennsylvania and in the Harrisburg School District, there's a crisis because teachers are just quitting in the elementary schools. It's like we can't take it. Uh, the abuse we have to put up with, the behavioral issues, it's more than we can stand. There's going to be a teacher shortage because teachers will not put up with the behavior then as we discussed iron now again there's people that need iron but we've now fortified our iron in a lot of foods if someone wants to be entertained or saddened or aggravated just go on youtube and google iron filings in cereal and you'll see how when cereal is ground up put in a plastic bag water added magnet held over iron filings float to the top So there's an interesting book called Dumping Iron, and I would recommend people get that, that you know, iron is very critical, but it's possible that if you've got some of these genetic issues and you eat a standard American diet, take a multivitamin with some iron in it, cook with some iron skillets, you could be getting too much. And unfortunately, I now have developed this theory that if you've got the Fenton reaction going on and some of this iron is turning into hydroxyl radicals, blood levels can look normal because you're turning some of the iron into hydroxyl radicals oh because
1: it's getting burnt off and the inflammation's so high you you look at the iron and say there's no that can't be the problem because those levels are normal yes Yes. yes, you and know, and I've the, so I also got a, a I've got a new glucose monitor, and it measures hematocrit and hemoglobin, and I'm ooh. finding just very early on, but the trend is that these are numbers are low that i'm finding i haven't come anybody high yet but surprisingly you know you get some women uh postmenopausal women and who are mostly my my patients and uh some men as well they're not quite as bad but we're finding that's low and that's you know after listening to you i'm thinking okay it's not that they need to be fortified with iron it's that their iron's being burnt up through this fenton reaction and we need to calm down the inflammation and then
0: we should see these numbers come back up yeah, and I'll be interested to hear what you find with that. Yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah, please do. Now, the other issue is, besides the iron, and that is we are now putting in some of our foods monosodium glutamate. Why? Because people will get addicted to the food. That drives the glutamate. Is there any hope? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> we're going to end with that. And then, and then what happens we're
1: is— We're surrounded, you know, Bob.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not a doom and gloomer. I'm not a sky is <laughs> falling. We have to look at the facts. Yeah. Now, the other problem we have is many times people get there due to a histamine issue. Their, their gut gets inflamed and some well-meaning person says, oh, do some bone broth and some L-glutamine because L-glutamine heals the gut. Well, it does by stimulating— mTOR. And as I'm looking at the genetics of some individuals, I, I just spoke to a, a woman today who had a glutamate issue. And she said, yeah, somebody told me to take some L-glutamine to to heal my gut, and I thought I was going psychotic. Right. So L-glutamine can be excellent. And bone broth, nothing wrong with bone broth. However, it's high in glutamine and histamine. And I'd like to talk about histamine just a little bit as well. So we're taking these L-glutamine supplements. We're eating foods with monosodium glutamate. And one of the areas that we're still researching, and I know Stephanie Seneft is doing this quite a bit at MIT, uh, the some of the pesticides that we're using in mass, you know, we're told that, oh, it can not hurt the human organism because we don't have the shikimate pathway. What we forget is that we have these little things called uh, gut bacteria, and we have more bu- gut bacteria than we have cells in the body, and it's very likely impacting them. And so now we're seeing inflammatory bowel disease among children skyrocketing. And we are seeing colon cancer in the 20 to 30-year-olds. And I don't think we can blame all on this, but this may be a factor. So there's a gene called the PON1 that helps you clear pesticides. So what I'm putting out there is a theory, again, not a fact, as a theory that if you've got PON1 variants and you're eating a lot of foods that have uh, pesticides on them, that may dis- be disrupting the gut. And there's a strong, you know, one of the areas that we're really fascinated in is how gut bacteria impacts neurotransmitters. And, you know, I don't think anybody would not d- agree with the fact that people seem to be getting more agitated, more angry less tolerant of anybody that doesn't totally agree with them. And this may be because our neurotransmitters are getting off because of some of these environmental factors. And then my final subject is folate. And again, I'm not opposed to supplementing with folate under some circumstances, but I think if, if all we do is look at MTHFR and start taking methylfolate, folate stimulates mTOR. And then finally, what we found in our study was that those with chronic Lyme had more genetic variants in the genes that support autophagy. It's the ULK1, ULK2, and ATG13 genes supports autophagy. So the sickest of the sick, what I'm finding, is they'll they'll usually have some fenton reaction going on. They might have some glutamate things going on. Then they've got some trouble in their nerf too, to make the antioxidants. Then they have genetic variants in their autophagy genes. And these are the people, when you talk to them, you say, okay, I can't treat the Lyme because it makes me sick. I go to a, a holistic person, they try to give me supplements, and I feel horrible. I, I just go bonkers, because I can't take anything. You know, I, I talk to people all the time. I can't take anything. Anytime I've tried to do any supplementation, it made me sick. Well, of course, if everything's all clogged up, most nutrients try to push pathways. And if you're that inflamed, you're going to have a problem. Now, we've just, you know, spelled out why this is a problem. Now the question becomes, what do we do? Okay. And this is the real exciting part. Now, first, before I even talk about any supplementation, let's talk about some of the lifestyle things that have really gotten a lot of attention. Uh, you will hear more and more about something called intermittent fasting. It is becoming popular quickly. And the brief explanation of intermittent fasting is, uh, the one that's getting the most attention is you pick eight hours during the day that you consume food. That could be 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., 11 to 7, 10 to 6, whatever. And then 16 hours of just drinking fluids, water, coffee without cream or sugar, you know no amino acids now I know some people are going to say I can't do that because I have blood sugar issues I have adrenal issues so again we have to be personalized this is not for everybody not everybody can do this but if you can do that what happens then is when you stop consuming calories for 16 hours mTOR says oh I don't have any raw ingredients let's stop building okay autophagy go do your thing How cool is that, McKay? That's the golden ticket. Yes. Now, the next thing is it's getting a lot of attention is the ketogenic diet. Now, we've known about this for years, and, uh, you know, I kind of like, well, yeah, it's an interesting thing, and I didn't dig into it much. But an extremely brief explanation is extremely low carbohydrate, relatively low but moderate protein and a lot of fats. And there are people that just swear by the ketogenic diet because they feel so good on it. Now, they've just observed that, and they tell others, but now we know why it works, because carbohydrates drive insulin that drives mTOR. Amino acids drive mTOR. So what happens is you get less uh, glucose, and you start making these ketones, and your cells can thrive off of ketones. But bad cells can't. So what you're doing by going on a ketogenic diet, combining that with intermittent fasting, you're really giving the body an ability to clean. Now again, everything has to be personalized. We need to look at people's ability to make pantothene, choline, carnitine, because there's some people that say, I did that ketogenic diet and I thought I, I never felt worse in my life. Okay. So what we have to do is we have to look at individualized. So I'm suspecting that if somebody has a panethene issue and they take panathene with their meals, or if they have a choline issue and they take choline, or if they have you know bile issues that they don't make enough bile, you can compensate for that. But we just can't blanketly say the ketogenic diet is the answer because it just goes back to personalized. It will be life-changing for some people and the worst thing that somebody ever did. Otherwise. So that's why you really need to know whether you can handle that high-fat diet. Same way with intermittent fasting. I've talked to many people who have said this has changed my life. Bob, thank you very much. And others have said, oh my gosh, I can't do it because of my blood sugar. So we we tend to get on a bandwagon and think that you know everything's the magic bullet. However, there's also some very interesting nutrients, and there's nutrients that are called caloric mimetics. In other words, they mimic caloric restriction. I should have said caloric restriction mimetics, not caloric. So caloric restriction is when you stop eating. Interestingly, turmeric and resveratrol slow down mTOR. Now, we've all, you know, herbalists have known for hundreds of years, if not longer, that turmeric is anti-inflammatory. So we just, you know, say, if you've got inflammation, take turmeric. Well, now we know why. I mean, there might be other properties, but turmeric slows down mTOR. And then resveratrol, we all know the benefits of red wine. Red wine has the resveratrol that slows down the mTOR. Now, interestingly, there's a couple of nutrients that support autophagy. One of them is... Berberin, and that's why berberin has been used uh, you know, for helping have healthy blood sugar levels. Lithium supports mTOR, uh, as well as uh, garcinia chi supports autophagy. And so does vitamin D. So we're not going to talk about vitamin D today, that we don't have time for that. But you know, clearly many people know the benefits of vitamin D. Part of it, in addition to many of its other functions, might be that it supports autophagy. So how cool is that? So that's why sometimes many people are sick when their vitamin D levels are low. So those are some things you can do. And I helped formulate a product called Autophagy Assist that's only available through healthcare professionals that has all of those things together. The turmeric, the resveratrol, the berberine, the lithium and I'm beginning to believe that one of the most important things we can do from an anti-aging standpoint, even those who aren't sick, and that is to make sure that that mTOR and autophagy are in balance. And if you live in America today, that's going to be tougher than it's ever been. Because 50 to 75 years ago, we didn't have cell phones. We weren't giving our cattle growth hormone. We weren't putting iron in all of our foods. Monosodium glutamate didn't exist yet. These pesticides didn't exist yet so we have cumulatively environmentally piled things on and just like the miners took the canary in the mine when the carbon monoxide would go high the canary would die first and the miners knew that although we don't feel that we got to get out of here time you yeah, time to get out yeah i'm afraid that some of the people that are struggling with some of these issues like mold sensitivity mm-hmm. i mean when I when I teach doctors these classes I say how many of you are seeing mold sensitivity going through the roof and They're like yeah all of well, them right Mold isn't new we've lived in moldy homes forever
1: <laughs> right I live in a house that was built in uh, 1830 and there's been mold in the basement since 1830
0: <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> right But there are people that would come to your house that are now going to get terribly sick that wouldn't have before that's right and so we're seeing multiple chemical sensitivity. We're being mold sensitivity. Epstein-Barr, chronic fatigue. Uh, there's got to be, even when I, you know, I I talk to regular traditional medical doctors, they all agree there has to be environmental factors impacting this. So, uh, you know, people are always looking for the genetic component. And yes, it's there, but it's more complex than that. It's not just one gene it's multiple genes going together. So, for example, if you have extra iron coming in, you don't make your glutathione, and then your autophagy is weakened, that's the combination. And that's what I'm finding. In the sickest of the sick, they've got fenton going on, they've got antioxidant weakness, they've got excess glutamate, and they've got autophagy weakness. So I think when we're trying to look for the gene that is responsible for a condition, we're just going to be continually disappointed. And then even then, there's got to be likely some environmental factors uh, increasing it. So part of our future research, we want to look at possibly some of the CYPs, cytochrome P450s, that might be involved in the plastics. And even in mTOR, there's mTORs related to amino acids. So as you know, some people stop dairy and they're like, woohoo, this was the answer. Mm -hmm. Well. The amino acids in dairy stimulate mTOR. I'm speculating, pure speculation here, but there might be some genetic issues where amino acids, particularly leucine, arginine, and glutamine, stimulate mTOR more strongly. Right. So one person quits dairy, and it's the miracle the next person quits dairy and says, hey. uh, not, nothing happened, right. can't be dairy. But that's what makes this so complex, because there is not an answer. It's usually multiple factors where... Genetic and epigenetic are all going together, and as you even said, with the, uh, you know, with the ancestry and the stress you're under, and uh, all of those factors together. So I was really excited to present this in uh, in Boston, and very good response from uh, the Lyme doc. So if I'd sum it up, I believe that we found, and we're going to continue to find more, because I also believe our next project is going to be histamine. I believe we're going to find the pathways where histamine is stimulating mTOR as well. We're, we're close, but we don't want to say that until we found all the literature that supports it. So all these epigenetic factors combined with those who are genetically weakness, weakest is stimulating mTOR, weakening autophagy, going back to that traditional naturopathic philosophy of it's the environment. The environment of the body allows the pathogen to thrive. And I think as we dig more and as we do more research, uh, we're going to continue to validate this thinking. I have a question for you. And you may
1: or may not know the answer. So uh, I'm going to speculate first, very briefly. When we're fighting off an infection, we want to grow more of the different immune cells, more white blood cells and and the various other immune. It, It would make sense that an infection would stimulate mTOR as well. Do we know if
0: infections stimulate mTOR? That I don't know, but I know inflammation does.
1: Hmm. So yeah. indirectly. If not directly, then indirectly it's it's being yeah. stimulated. Mm-hmm. So you, you, in addition to all these environmental factors that we've talked about, the genetic factors, you get a strong infection like Lyme disease and then Katie, bar the door.
0: Sure. And keep in mind as that, Lyme gets in this cell; it reduces our ATP production, and ATP is needed for multiple factors, including glutamate to GABA, and I think we're going to find a whole lot more.
1: So the glutamate builds up; it affects the mTOR; it starts doing damages
0: to the nerves, so forth and so on. Yep, and it makes the peroxynitrite that depletes your glutathione, suppresses your immune system, and it just becomes you know a self feeding you know just like spins upon itself. Perfect.
1: Bob, thank you. You once again have been a font of knowledge, a fountain, a waterfall, a fire hose. We're trying to tra- take a sip here of all you're talking <laughs> about. And very generous with your time and what oh, you're doing pleasure. for the Lyme community and for everybody else out there who's
0: who's using your work. Well, and I suspect that uh, this goes beyond Lyme. Absolutely. That it's involved with a lot of the chronic issues that uh that we're seeing today so i'll be presenting this um in uh, i i will be presenting or i've already presented all depends when you listen to this at uh, a4m in mid-december and i'll be presenting at uh another conference in chicago in april and i'm doing it on the webinars and uh, let me just briefly talk about the uh the harrison effect before we wrap it up uh we we did find a young man in Chicago by the name of Harrison who uh, had a lot of you know emotional issues that we're seeing with some of the kids today and Lyme disease, and we found this pattern in him. So I spoke to his parents and I said, "Can we name this the Harrison Effect?" And his parent, her mother, who's a uh, a nutritional consultant as well, said, "Absolutely." So uh, we're, we're trying to coin the phrase the harrison effect and we may write a book on this or something to help people understand because behavioral issues in children is uh, is getting out of control as they're anxious as their brains become inflamed and uh, we're just seeing more and more i just turned on the news last night uh, anxiety and depression is skyrocketing among children and i suspect some of these environmental factors are playing a large role here's a
1: quick stat for you we're literally down a hill from a a very highly academic liberal arts college. And the health center or the counseling center knows at least 24% of the students are on a medication on a psychiatric medication. And those are the ones they know about. They're probably another five to 10%. So that's, I mean, these are these high glutamate,
0: high achieving young men and women. And they're Mm. all, they're all anxious. Every one of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. When I've talked to the college professors, they'll say the freshmen coming in now are just coming unglued. Yeah. The boys that used to be tough, they, they see a homework assignment and they have a panic attack. And these professors that have been doing this for a while are like, what? You know, what, what's going on here? Uh, we have to have safe spaces because they might hear something that upsets them really <laughs> like,
1: right if you have normal functioning brain it's really and for them though it's 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 tragic it's it's tremendous imagine having to go through your day well the Lyme people understand this where everything sets you on edge and you just can't take that deep breath and calm down it's just it's mind boggling it's like how can this actually happen
0: well I understand that in someone with Lyme but when you're a healthy eighteen nineteen year old yeah. boy and all of a sudden you get freaked out over uh, you know, small things. Yes. That's
1: that's a little disconcerting. It is disconcerting, and and going back, they're probably not healthy. Like you said, the 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 uh, hormones aren't in balance. The neurotransmitters aren't in balance. Their diet may not be in balance, and and uh, and, and on it goes. On it goes. It does. It does. Bob, thank you again. We're definitely going to stay in touch, and as Absolutely. you continue to roll out more and more research and find out more, uh, we'll continue to follow your work with great, great interest.
0: Yes, we have to think about what we're going to do. Uh, the next ILADS is in Poland, and uh, I'm already <laughs> thinking about uh, what we're going to talk about there. I actually did find one gene that looks fascinating, but I'm not ready to talk about it yet. So, uh, yeah, so we'll be doing uh, phase five in, in Poland in uh, at May or June of 17th. So all of you international listeners, if you want
1: to see Bob, go find him in Poland in a year. okay
0: <laughs> okay it's been a pleasure like always and by the way, you're doing great work as well and thank, I should also mention that uh, you know you're a contributor to my to my research board and you're always sending me emails with cool stuff so uh, it takes a lot of people to make this happen so uh, it's good people like you that contribute to this work as well so I want to make sure everyone understands that too. Thanks so
1: much Bob.
2: of phrase that bob had uh maybe in the middle of this interview and he said when the house is burning down you don't paint the walls and mow the lawn and Sounds- i loved that
1: now why do you love that
2: it's just well number one it's so vivid it's very vivid. it's absolutely vivid uh, but and then number two He's it, when when you're talking about supplementing mm-hmm. and and adding supplements to your diet, right. if you don't have a good foundation of health or good found or yes, tox, or, or you're that's what you're t- in a state of toxicity. For, exactly, it's a
1: very vivid way of saying first things first.
2: Yes, for, exactly, first things first.
1: And I think that's one of Bob's biggest messages here, and what he's learned through the genetic research that he's done but also through his clinical experience is that you can identify a genetic SNP a variant that you may have and so then oh we want to go in and fix it and the, the common one that we see a lot is is the MTHFR and if Everything else is okay, and then you go ahead and supplement methylfolate. You're fine. However, if your phase two detox is not up to snuff or there's other problems there with your sulfur metabolism creating glutathione, you can actually make things worse. And you begin to wonder with all the supplementation going on out there and how many stories of people having relapse. how many of the relapses are actually Lyme flares and how much of them are just adverse events from supplementing in the wrong order. And we'll probably never know, but it's suspicious. And that's, that's, don't paint the house when it's burning down. Yep. First things first. Okay. Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback for us, please head on over to iTunes. Leave us a comment. Give us a star rating. We prefer five, but we'll take corrective criticism (laughs) as well. We just want to hear from you. And if you're not into the iTunes things, just send us an email at feedback at com. You can let us know what you think, suggestions for guests, fan mail, tips.
2: Yeah.
1: If you have a little extra Bitcoin floating around, we'll take some of that. (laughs) Just go ahead and email it to yeah. us. Yeah,
2: it, it makes my day when I get them. So
1: yes, it we really lo- does. We really, <laughs> do, we really, really do love to hear from you. That's why we're doing this. Yep.
2: Also, if you don't know your lime score yet, do yourself a favor. Head on over to Radio dot com front slash tracker and fill out the Lime Ninja symptom tracker because it's free.
1: And it'll help you keep track of your Lyme symptoms from month to month. Yes. It's a great tool. Head on over there and give it a whirl. It takes about, what, I don't know, 10 minutes to fill out maybe the first time?
2: It's not that bad.
1: Five minutes the second time for sure. I think the first time reading through the question takes a little bit longer. Yeah. But not much. It's well worth your time. And you get a nice little summary of your Lyme symptoms in a numeric format. So you can keep track month to month. Or you go on forward, backwards, or sideways. Anyway, Lime ninja dot front slash tracker. Okay. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the very first Lime Ninja fact of 2018.
2: Did you know ninjas are what make the central nervous system nervous? Yeah.